Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Take two. It's Kandashow's okay. Beatle Revolution. One, two, three, four. On iHeartRadio. It's Kandashow, the Beatles Revolution. Uh, our podcast is our second one. Andrew's in this band, uh, the Million People, the 8,500, what's the name of the band? It's called 100,000. See, 100,000. And how much are ticket prices to a, a show, to a 100,000 show? Uh, that would be between 8 and $12 for uh, front row general admission. <laughs> and you guarantee front row. Is there a VIP experience? Is oh, front a- row is pretty much guaranteed nowadays. <laughs> There's, this all comes together because of the announcements of Paul McCartney coming to town. First four shows, now another four. There are eight shows in the fall, and we're giving away tickets all this weekend at Q1043. And I got an angry email uh, from a listener, from Sal, who said, Ken, because I, I explained, he said, why does Paul McCartney have to be so greedy? Why do tickets have to cost $300? And I said, the thing you have to understand, Sal, is even if he took $1, there's so many moving parts to touring now. When Paul McCartney tours, there I would guess, and this is a legitimate guess, there are 200 people who are moving him, who are touring with him. Tours, management, bookings, arrangements. In the early days of the Beatles, it was the four guys, and it was Neil Aspinall and Mal Evans. There were six guys on the road in a van. That van is just the first van of the advance crew and there are another 20 people going on ahead in front so sal emailed and i i try to explain that the cost of these tickets is spread over so many factors the promoters the venue and he said i'm in total disagreement with what you stated i don't expect to pay eight dollars for a ticket like i did in the 80s i do not think 350 dollars a ticket is being fair to fans as you stated, Sir Paul is a billionaire, so regardless of what it costs to rent an arena, pay roadies, and other ancillary costs, charging exorbitant sums of money for tickets is much, nothing more than uh, a cash grab. He could, he could easily charge less and still make a profit. But we all know in this day and age, uh, artists make a majority of their money from touring, record sales, streaming, etc., make little or no money. So, which brings to the point, he could easily charge less and still make a profit. Is it okay to do all this for free? I mean, you could. You could break even. But as long the thing is, if you charge $60 a ticket, and the, and this came from Mick Jagger, and he's the one who pointed this out, $60 a ticket, and then that $60 ticket, 90% of them are resold for $500 to $1,000. You're still not getting the $60. The only thing that's happening with the $60 ticket is the reseller is getting the deal of the century because everybody who is attending the performance, 90% of them, are still paying three to $500 to $1,000 a ticket. Mick's the one who drove the ticket prices up because he said, what you'll pay is what the reseller gets. That's the, that should be the actual cost of my ticket. If somebody's going to make that money, it might as well be me 
not the guy who's the hacker who can break into the system and steal the money. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, you make a good point. I, I mean, it's this is an issue that goes beyond just Paul needing the money or not needing the money. Um, from my research, you know, streaming is part of it, but also I found an article that says inflation of ticket prices is faster than the actual rate of inflation. Um, and I think part of it also for someone like Paul McCartney, someone like you 2 Metallica, I would guess that part of it is, well, we're the best show around, so you should pay the most money for my show. And because the question I asked online, I asked on our Facebook page, is do you feel you, even though you're paying a lot of money, do you feel you're getting your value? And I'm looking at some of the responses. For instance, uh, where is it? Um, Brian Moran. It all depends on the artist. I paid $150 for decent seats to Billy Joel. I loved the event. I spent the same amount at other concerts. Felt like I got ripped off. And I think that's the difference. Are you getting what you pay for? When a Broadway show ticket to Hamilton goes for $3,000, literally $3,000. When the average not resale price of a Broadway musical is three to $500. That's how much it costs to get a Broadway musical up these days. And I know more about that because I'm intimately familiar with producers and things I've done off-Broadway shows. Off-Broadway tickets, everybody says nobody comes. They're too expensive. They are. But it costs that much. That little theater where I've done my plays, I rent out here in Tribeca, where that you could used to rent that out for $1,500 a week. That's now $5,000 a week. That's for the little box. <laughs> you move up in class and weight class on that. It costs a fortune. You have to pay that just to pay the union guys and the lighting rigs and, and just the rental for it. And he's not making a fortune because what the city charges him for rent is a fortune. So it just snowballs and cascades. My thing is, from what I know from the theater business, no one person along the chain is absolutely being like that that scumbag, like stealing a zillion dollars and ripping off everybody. Everybody's getting their cut along the way. Yeah, and I think that union issue has a lot to do with it. I'm looking up ticket prices to McCartney shows all around the U.S., and you can see Paul down in Louisiana uh, for about $55. That's probably behind the stage somewhere, but I would bet you anything that's not a union Absolutely. venue. And listen, I'm union. I'm pro-union sure. about getting paid, but you know, you're, not get, you're getting the best level of service and talent here in New York City. So you say, well, we're getting ripped off here. But you're getting every single act in the world is playing here in the next six months. It's hard. Oh, I would say almost every act you'd want to see has been has played in the last year to two. Guns N' Roses to Paul McCartney to U2 this summer to, to Classic East. You've got Fleetwood Mac, Eagles, Steely Dan, Journey, uh, Earth, Wind & Fire, and the Doobie Brothers. That's not a $12 ticket. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who are being employed, not necessarily by Paul McCartney, but because of Paul McCartney LLC or whatever it is. You know, there's a person like me who's doing his uh, updating his website and his social media fees. There's several managers at all levels. So if Paul McCartney doesn't take any money from his tour, which he could, right? there's still an... And a virtual industry of people who still need to get paid. You know, when 
It's a terrible thing to say, and Pete Townsend always said he made a mistake. Uh, when John Entwistle died like two days before the start of the Who tour, way back when, and they're in Vegas, and <laughs> that's the ox on like a, you know on on a heart medication, and he's doing coke and like hanging with strippers because he wouldn't let it go. Uh, and Pete said, well, you know, got to cancel the tour. You know, it's just, it's the three of us. And what they came to him and everybody, you know, Pete said, I took the weight for it all. And in a way they were right. But when they came to me and said, all these people, all the truckers, the sound guys, the riggers, the lighting guys, the sound men, the cable guys, the coordinators, everybody has their summer tour in place. If you don't go out, 200 people won't have any work this summer and it's too late for them to catch on to the journey tour or the Eagles tour or the, this tour, because everybody's out and rolling. Everybody's got to scramble and call their friends and go, Hey, anybody need a fill in guy on the journey tour? You know, they're set. You've that's their money. If you can, please, this is a business. There's 200 people relying. It's like a, a company with 200 people. And he said, I got Pino Palladino because I didn't want to let, not only, it, he said, well, the fans, it, you know, it was awkward to do it without the guys been there since I'm 16. But for my own people, like, you had to figure out a way to keep the business going. And it's callous to say, but here, for instance, here's a quote from uh, gal Jamie Marcus. Just purchased Sir Paul tickets for Miami at a cost of over $500 for the pair. Plus, we'll be in New York in July, so we're flying back down to Florida to see him. And in the cost of airfare, we're spending over 800 to see him. And I would spend more. Worth every single penny, but that's just my personal opinion. Wouldn't do the same for most other artists. Paul is a beetle. Enough said. And the response by a friend who's an entertainment lawyer, Charlie, says Paul is a capitalist. No pun on the former record label. And, you know, both statements are absolutely true. Like you said, you're going to see a man who's going to be 75 this year who is at the top of his game. He isn't good. He's, it's perfect. There are no tape loops playing. There's no hidden band behind the stage filling in the gaps. Nobody's singing the notes he can't see. Some of the times, you know, you see a pop artist and they're lip syncing the songs because it's all about dancing. Whether If Paul's voice is a little ragged, it's ragged. But what you get is an honest rock and roll show. There are five guys making every sound you hear, period, done, that's it. And you're getting the greatest music Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ostensibly, that's been made in the last 50 years. You're getting a three-hour sampling of that. I've never seen anyone give more of a of a joyous three-hour show to his fans. You'd never walk out of there saying, oh, that sucked. Never. I mean, which is a remarkable statement to make for a guy who's been doing this since he's 15. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, your um, question about this the other day to me kind of brought to the fore a thought that I've had for a couple years. Really, it, it intensified since I got here that I'll probably never see Paul McCartney. I might never see Billy Joel. Like there's these are artists that I love, but I not I don't think I can literally justify spending 
three hundred something dollars for uh, a seat where they give you a telescope. Right, y- you're renting a telescope, <laughs> and and they let you in th- in the door. Um, but would being part of that experience, knowing that the sound is good, and even if you're sitting, remember it's not a stadium. You're at the Barclays, you know. You're at Nassau. You're at uh, at the Garden, at the Prudential, where even if you're far from the stage, you're catching the energy. You've got the big screens. Would you feel it was worth it to say I did it? Have that's, you spent this money? That's the other thought. Is I can't imagine not having a good time. Right. Even though I'd be out all that money. Right. And I can't listen, imagine Andrew's not just loving starting it. out. He's a young guy. That's a big number for you. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, yeah, this is not casual money. That's that changes your life for. And I weeks. would I would sit on the ceiling if they had seats up there. Right. I would I would love to be there, but I. I think I'm going to go with my uh, better judgment on this one <laughs> and just stick with the records. Right. Okay. And that's and for those who say I always I always I can count on it like clockwork. The email that comes in. I remember when I saw so I saw Bruce Springsteen open for Laura Nero at the Schaefer Music Festival for $4. Well, you can go see Andrew's band for $8. Be- you you might even be able to bargain them. <laughs> But I'll give you four, and then maybe you meet in the middle at six. Exactly. You didn't see Bruce Springsteen after he wrote Born to Run or after Born in the USA for $4. You saw him in his earliest days with David Sanctus and Vinnie Magdog Lopez doing jazz rock poetry with a saxophone and doing cool Dylan-esque poetry. I'm not putting that down. That's brilliant. But that's not arena rock Born in the USA. Remember to put it in perspective. That's him starting out just like Andrew's band is starting out. And, you know, you look at posters. I'm, I looked last, I was at Carnegie Hall uh, the other night for Jimmy Webb. It was a tribute to Jimmy Webb. I've, I've been very lucky to go on there a few times hosting Foreigner. And right before you get to the stage, they've got the classic Beatles poster up when Sid Bernstein booked them into Carnegie Hall in 1964. Theater 3 Productions present the first New York appearance of the Beatles. Carnegie Hall, Wednesday, February 12th, two shows, 7 p.m. and 8.30 p.m. Price, $4. Which we figured out, according adjusted for inflation, is like $32 now. But it was for teenagers, and probably if the Beatles were $4, I bet seeing uh, Mislav Rostopovich was probably $12, or maybe a VIP ticket was $20. That's what seeing a live venue was, and, you know, the artist made $1,000, maybe, maybe a few hundred. To split between four of them. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, somebody said here, like, you should do what Kid Rock does and charge, you know, 40 bucks a ticket. Well, if if you enjoy Kid Rock for 40 bucks, that's great. I I would rather spend three hundred dollars to see Paul than forty for Kid Rock. If you don't have three hundred, you don't have it. But just as Kid Rock doesn't charge three hundred, he's like, well, he could, he could, but he's not going to get it. Paul McCartney, we met, we're in New York City. This is the hub of the world. This is Wall Street, where that Wall Street bank. You know, it, the best analogy is why Manhattan real estate is insane. Because in any other place that's not New York or L.A. or Miami or Hong Kong or London or France or Paris, you're bidding, you you guy with a job or is bidding against somebody else, guy or girl with a job, for an apartment. 
here in New York, you're bidding against Citibank. You're, you're going against Estee Lauder for that apartment. You're going against the Russian embassy that needs 100 apartments. You're bidding against corporations of the world. That's why real estate on this crazy planet, this island, is so expensive. And that's why everything's so expensive, because tickets to a Yankee game, a bank buys you know 100 tickets for the Yankee game at any price because they need it for their clients. And that's you coming up to the box office competing with them for their bank account versus Andrews. That's, that's how the Knicks still make money, even though right. they're terrible. Yeah, because everybody says, hey. Because the tickets are already sold exactly. before they're terrible, before everyone knows they're terrible. Exactly. Or there's mathematical proof <laughs> every year that they're terrible. Uh, someday, someday <laughs> it'll change. But to me, I'd re- I'll give you a perfect sports analogy. Um, we, you know, I got we, my, two years ago in 2015, you know, we're big Mets fans. Uh, my wife and I didn't go on vacation, on a winter vacation, and we didn't give each other holiday presents. Our presents to each other is we bought the whole strip of Mets postseason tickets. And you think, well, well, we're DJs. We get, you know, we don't nearly get the tickets. We used to get tickets to stuff a lot all the time in the 70s and 80s. And now that it's all corporate, that's pretty much gone. We get a ticket here and there. We do. But nowhere near like you could just call and say, I want to go to something, and it happens. It doesn't. We buy our most of our sports tickets. So my wife and I bought all of the Mets postseason tickets for thousands and thousands of dollars. And we thought, let's treat ourselves. This will be our vacation and our, and our Christmas Hanukkah presents. And it was exciting, and it was nerve-wracking and fun, and they lost the World Series, but we had a great time, and we thought, well, what would we have bought that would have been more fun than that? You know, and that was it. And we felt, okay, we had the money to spend, so we'll tighten our belts a little bit, and, and we'll go on, which is what I think about concert tickets. You can't go to everything, but pick your pick your spot is all I can say. Pick your spot. I think it was Stuart Copeland, the drummer from The Police, who I, I think he's a big sports fan, and he was talking about how he was really glad that he chose music instead of sports because now he wins every game. That's a great point. It's one thing about a, a McCartney show. or Listen, it was part of the thing of people showing up drunk or when Axel would walk off the stage and there was riots back in the 80s. Like People spent a lot of effort and money to get to your show and you showed up like you don't give a shit and like threw up and like walked off the stage. What the hell's that? Where's your where that's that to me is that to me is ripping off the fans, is not showing up to do a great show. And there are bands on every level. The Scorpions. If you ever go see the Scorpions, every show they've ever done is like the last time in life they will ever play. Like they're going to die that night. They they kill themselves to bring you their best show. Randy Bachman, who sat here, says I know a guy has spent money on the tickets to drive there. He probably took his wife to dinner, babysitter, parking. He's out a couple hundred bucks before he even walks in the door. You're damn right I'm playing, taking care of business as hard and as loud as I can because I want him to walk out of there feeling the same zets he did as a kid. Or if it's your first time, I want you to walk out and go like, wow, that was incredible. Not, man, that guy mailed it in. You know, And he's absolutely right. And that's why the bands who are still touring and doing well do that well. Um, here's a, a friend who's a fellow broadcaster, Jimmy Fink, who said they're absolutely too expensive tickets. Instead of moving all those people, equipment, staging, lights, instrument from the Prudential to Barclays to MSG to Nassau, which costs a ton, why not stay in one place for several dates in order to reduce the cost per ticket? 
and again, the answer to that is because there are different there are different entities at different venues. Madison Square Garden is MSG. Prudential Center is Prudential Center. You're spreading the love by giving everybody a piece of the Paul McCartney love. So, you know, these are businesses too. And there are secretaries and people and ticket takers and the soda vendors and the hot dog guy and the security staff and the parking guy. So everybody gets to make some money when Paul comes to town and plays everywhere. That's actually being, you know, that's sharing with the kids as opposed to giving just, you know, the, the oldest brother all, all of it. And that, to me, that's Paul being being classy about it as opposed to just saying, no, just stay in one place. It's easier for me. It's easier for everybody. I'm on the website SeatGeek. You ever go on SeatGeek? Oh, Geek? sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where they, they give you a little dot on the section, and have, it's color-coded to say, like, what's a good deal, what's a bad deal. And they use, like... Um, Views uh, views of the arena and maps and reviews, I think, as well, to put this together. So for Madison Square Garden, they've rated a good deal. This is section 215, which is ostensibly behind the stage. Tickets $145 at the Garden for Paul. That's a great seat. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's a good deal according to this. Yeah. It is because you're going to – here's the thing about the way Paul sets up the stage is if you're behind the stage, yeah, you're looking at the back of their head some, somewhat, but when Paul plays piano, he plays sideways. And so you're actually – when he goes to the piano upstage left, you're actually closer to him, and the band always turns around. They always, like, say hi to the people behind them. They don't ignore them. So it's actually a pretty good show. Here's a friend of mine who'd been in the music business forever, Bruce Tenenbaum, who said, look, the artist has control of the ticket price. It's ridiculous to suggest anything else. Well, to a point, Bruce, to a point. Uh, Prince played a month of shows in L.A. a few years ago with a $25 price. So he lost money on that. But what you don't mention is part of that was part of your ticket price was you got the album. You got a CD. And by doing that, he forced SoundScan to accept that as a sale. So he used that as a selling price for his CDs. Sell an extra 20,000 CDs or something. Exactly. So you get into another tier, and then maybe people watch it. So, But then Bruce says, on the other hand, Paul McCartney won't be touring much longer. Your chances of seeing him are shrinking every day. That's a really good point. He puts on an amazing show in L.A. He played three hours, did three encores, and the third was the second half of Abbey Road. So with any transaction, you just have to decide what's it worth to you. How much are you willing to pay to see a legend perform and create a lifelong memory? And he is absolutely right. If you had $300 to spend on entertainment, and you may not, but if you and your girl, Kara, had had $600 to spend on entertainment, you would not be shortchanged. You would not not have a good time. Whether in the end it's worth one show for the two of you, for $600, or seeing six shows that are okay for, for $100, who knows? That's your choice. But you wouldn't walk out of there going, nah, 
You know, it, there's no meh experience when you're seeing them or Metallica or the Stones or whatever. They bring a great show. Here's the other thing that conflicts me. I And it would be different with Paul. Right. It would be different with Billy Joel. It would be different probably with Bruce, Metallica, U2. For, after 45 minutes, I'm kind of good. Right. And these guys are up there playing three hours, three and a half hours. Right. I've never seen a show like that, whether it was a play, a concert, even a film, in the comfort of my own home, where after three hours I was still really into it. It's exhausting. It absolutely is. There's there's very few for me who can pull it off. There are people who play a long time. But Bruce Springsteen and Paul McCartney and maybe you too, and for me personally, those might be the only ones that can hold my attention because they have a catalog of music that I want to hear. And not so much... You know what? That's only half the battle, is it songs I love. The other half is, are you such a captivating performer? If it's a bunch of guys who are shoegazers standing there strumming guitars, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. A few songs, and I'm good. For the most part now, I've seen mostly all the bands, and I'm like you. Half hour, 45 minutes, good to go. I'd rather see three bands in three hours. I'd rather see four bands in three hours. But there's that very rare exception where you're exhausted. You just want to die. You just want to go home. My back hurts. Yes, just from standing. And Bruce comes out and goes, can you stand yourselves? Like, I'm dying. Stop playing. Let us go, Bruce. Let us go home. He goes, we ain't going nowhere. And rips into, like, twist and shout. You're like, Christ, I wish that he sucked because I want to go home. <laughs> and, like, you know, little Stephen has said to me, he was on Breakfast with the Beatles Live, he said, you know, these other bands... You know, they play two hours. Good night. Because we play two hours. We're just warming up. <laughs> like, he goes, I wish I was in a band that played two hours. You got to go home. He goes, not the way we do it. He goes, we, he goes it's what we always did. Empty the tank every night. We leave when we can't think of anything else to play or the last guy leaves. And Bruce, if you ever heard the interview, or no, it was in the book. It was in his autobiography. Bruce said, I always have been driven by this fear that it wasn't good enough. I was always driven by have to give them more because maybe they won't invite you back. That's how I started the band. And I don't care how much money we have or what the bookings are. That's how I feel every time I go on stage. i got to prove myself. And he's not kidding about that. Whether that's an inferiority complex or whatever you want to say, there are guys who look at their watch and go, out of here in 10 minutes. And then there are guys like Bruce or Paul who, you know, just this is the they do it for love like paul said once on breakfast with the beatles he goes the stupidest question i ever get asked is you don't need the money why do you still do it so that's just daft that's daft and he's right i love doing it it's the reason i live you guys love hearing it you come and i can still do it at the highest possible level i want to talk about the economics of the concert business is is paul mccartney worth it is he not worth it do you see a kid What's the right ticket price would you pay to go see something? Can you afford it? And I thought, rather than me and producer Andrew, guessing at the economics, so I, I called my buddy, Jim Steen here, 
on the phone who is i hope you're vacationing in florida jimmy are you is this a day off uh the city never sleeps and sometimes it moves to florida but uh, i'm down here uh i'm working on a new building that's opening in the uh, city of pompano beach florida and uh, so you're the perfect person to ask jim has been with live nation he is now with with bowery presents which is aeg he has run venues we have promoted we have run around the PNC Bank Arts Center looking for women for Sammy Hagar, but that's another podcast entirely. <laughs> so, so, Jim, basically, as the audience always wants to know, why are my favorite concerts so expensive? And I was wondering if you could just from the inside explain the economics of, you know, a huge name wants to put on a show. What happens next? By and large, the most your ticket price is determined by, like any other business, the cost of goods sold. And, you know, without sounding too technical, all the prices, uh, the expenses that go into your tickets is uh, is included. So if Paul or Roger or whoever, uh, you know, is charging X, then, and then the cost of the venue is added into that. Then the cost of advertising is added into that. Then the cost of stagehands. Then the cost of, uh, you know, catering. Then the cost of renting the building. The cost of paying the ushers. The cost of all that is all factored in. And then on top of that, the, uh, the the profit margin for promoters very very small. It, it's generally you know three to five percent. So when you see uh, and you read Billboard or wherever and you see there was a six million dollar growth, you know realize that of that six million, the, the promoter whoever it is, Live Nation, Bowery, whoever, probably only making about a hundred twenty on that. And that may seem like a heck of a lot of money, but it's not really when you consider the enormous amount of risk and expense that goes into it. Uh, the cost of talent has skyrocketed. I, I came up in this business in the 90s. You know, I, I grew up in the New York area going to the Capitol Theater, you know, the Morris Cage, which is now the Mayo Center, uh, you know, and a lot of buildings which are no longer there uh, in New York City. And, you know, I, I, I look at my old ticket stubs, it's seven fifty, it's $8, it's $12, but... Uh, you know, the cost of talent has skyrocketed. So is that a case of the artist just making a cash grab, or is he just getting what the market will bear? Now, if you are an artist, you know, you get paid, you pay your manager out of that, you pay your agent out of that, and you pay, uh, you know, your expenses, your road, the bus, the bus driver, anything comes out of that. Jim, how many people would be on the road with Paul McCartney? Uh, uh, probably over 100 people. You know, with Paul, uh, as stadium shows especially. You know, I, I was looking at it like this, Ken, and, and I think we've had this conversation about, you know, how many kids grow up playing baseball, you know, play Little League. Even for a season, they don't like it, whatever. Millions and millions and millions. How many people get to be pro ball players? Not many at all, you know. So, like, well, are they worth the money? How many kids take guitar lessons? Millions and millions and millions. And then how many get to play a sold-out stadium? There's probably 10 to 20 people that can do that. You know what I mean? I mean, think of it. They come through. You too. Uh, Guns N' Roses, Rolling Stones, Roger Waters, Paul McCartney, you know, Eagles at one point. Probably still. But, uh, you know, there's there's very few. I mean, there's other young acts. Taylor Swift can do stadium. Sure. Uh, you know? Uh, you know, there's other country artists can do stadiums. Danny Chesney in certain parts. But, you know, the, the bottom line is very few people. So, you know, it's what the market will bear. The other thing about ticket prices that gets people going is like, well, 
you know, I saw those ticket prices. They were $150, and they're like, oh, I'm up in arms. The next thing you know, you look online at StubHub or whatever, and somebody that paid 150 has turned around and flipped that, and, and it's now selling them for $300 a piece. When people say to promoters, you're charging too much money, and he's like, well, the, the market is telling me I should be charging more. Mick Jagger you know? was the first wor- person I heard say that when they said, why are you charging $700 a ticket in New York or the Forum yeah. for the Bay Seats? He said, because I go on StubHub, and that's what you're paying for them. So why should the guy in the middle get who I'm getting two hundred dollars for it? If if the price of that ticket, as judged by the marketplace, is seven hundred, why shouldn't we all get that? You know, it sucks because what's happened is, Ken, the average guy can't afford to go to as many shows as you and I. You know what I mean? Uh, because we're getting in the back door and we're like quote unquote workers. But so what's happened is, and I remember the statistic from a place I worked that I can't, I won't say exactly where, but the average person goes to two or less big concerts a year. Now, uh, I'm sure there are kids in Brooklyn that go to a different show every night, you know, Williamsburg. I'm going to see the Stones. I'm going to see whatever, you know, and then they're, they're tapped out, and it is what it is. No, but uh, it is great. But there is nothing like that live experience, and that's what keeps people coming back. Right, and you I know, just I look at it comparatively. Like, look at the price of Broadway, yeah. where Hamilton tickets are being resold for three thousand dollars a pop, a pop. Unbelievable. And people think, but you're going to see a show. When I go see a ball game, you know, I paid a lot of money for the Mets playoff yeah. game last year. I, I paid like you know, over a thousand dollars for two tickets, but it was an exciting moment. And I wanted to watch it, yeah. but in the end, my team didn't win. If I go see yeah. Paul McCartney, I'm going to win. He's going to do "Let It Be." We're all going to say, yeah. "Hey, Jude, yeah. you're going to win." You know, you get exactly what you like. It's not a gamble, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Uh, these guys have too much money on the line, you know. Uh, in this day and age, you know, I, I just flew down here from from Newark this morning. Not one person is even reading a newspaper anymore. Everybody's looking at their phones, their laptops. This is a world we live in, you know, and right. but people are still willing to shell out a ton of money to go look at a guy play a guitar half a football field away. <laughs> right. You know? So what does that tell you? That, that's the power of the live experience. Plus, for these acts specifically, Jim, I, for Paul McCartney, for Roger Waters, for the Stones, you can see that it's it, it's just impossible for it to go on a hell of a lot longer. I hope it does. But. You know, clearly, we're towards the end of their touring days. And if you want to see one of the greatest shows ever, to me, I get it. Yeah, no, you're, 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 you're absolutely right. I don't know, you know, when does it end? I don't know. I mean, they, all these guys seem to be in pretty good health. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, you, you see it, too, is this festival. The, the, uh, the, and I'm not just talking about, you know, old cella or whatever out there. Right. But, I mean, the festival business is really where... Uh, you know, this is another whole topic we could do on a separate podcast. But this, uh, you know, uh, the thing about festivals is, are, are you training people that that's how you go to shows? You go to like one festival a summer and you see 40 bands at this festival. Well, I don't know. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I, I was in uh, New Orleans uh, recently for Jazz Fest. Been there 30 times. I love it. Uh, the great, it's one of the greatest experiences any music fan and food fan can ever, right. <laughs> ever have. And, and it was the greatest time. But, you know, I mean, like, same concept. There's, you know, 40 different bands, you know. Uh, and uh, I saw some people I didn't know that I really liked. And then, yeah, I stood with them. The, you know, the biggest crowd of the day was Dave Tom Petty. You know what I mean? So I think this will always continue. I 
Live Folk indie rock thing. The Williamsburg, uh, Brooklyn thing is, you know, I mean, a lot of those, they're very, very price conscious of how they price their shows. They have credibility thing. You know, how long does that last? I, I don't know. Right. Uh, it's a lot easier to uh, get by on, you know, $10 tickets and eating macaroni and cheese, you know what I mean, and right. ramen noodles in, in the back of a van when you're 25. When you're 35, if you're still doing that, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're going you're, you're gonna to probably want to get paid a little more. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. Okay, Green Day, Green Day is, is a great show and a great band. Paid their dues. But, you know, you go to a Green Day show, that's a real ticket price. Right. You know? Right. And it wasn't when they first started out, nor as it should be. Like, Andrew, producer Andrew's got a band, right. you know, now, and as he said, our average ticket price is $10. And if that's too much, we'll let you in yep. for 8 But I said, but that's what you're supposed to do when you start out. Yeah. You yeah. Just get people to talk about you. And God willing, you get the plane and the crew and the thing. Jim Steen, thank you so much for your time, for sharing a All little right. bit of the economics of our life. I don't know. I don't know if it, if it assuages anybody, but maybe at least you know an honest answer helps. Well, you know what? I would say you know go go to a show. You know you cannot beat that feeling of being amongst your people. You look around; people, strangers, are high fiving. Yes, Does that happen anywhere else except in sports. Correct. You know what I mean? Like strangers are high fiving about songs and things. You've got I mean, your arm around the stranger, and you're singing piano, man. Right. You're right. And you don't. And you don't care how he voted. He just likes <laughs> the same music as you. Exactly. You know I mean? Brilliantly said. Jim, All right. Well, thank, thank you so you. much for your time. I appreciate it. Anytime. Long live the Beatles. Long live Paul. There's nobody else. Here we are. We're coming up on the 50th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper. Uh, I think I'm getting the sneak advance this week. I'm psyched about that. Uh, it'll officially be released uh, the end of May. It's on pre-order with Amazon. June 1st, the anniversary of the release. And I got to hear a sneak in the, of what was what Giles Martin did and remixed it. And it is, it's like he cleaned up the Sistine Chapel and you're seeing it and it glows. It shimmers. I'm not kidding. You, the vocals sound three-dimensional. It's amazing what he's done with it. It's like a brand new album. He hasn't changed anything. He hasn't, he hasn't remixed it, like added anything like the love remix thing. All he's done is clean up every track. Like you take a Q-tip you know, to the ceiling and clean up every sound. Paul's bass is thundering on it like it's John Entwistle. And the imaging, the biggest thing about Sgt. Pepper is that, like they said, nobody gave a shit about stereo. Nobody had stereos really in 67 in England. So they spent weeks getting the balance of the instruments right on the mono and a day or two just going, all right, vocals left, music right, uh, this left, that right, and just panning things quickly. This is a knob that you just go left, right, left, right, left, right, and good enough. And the, the vocals were at the wrong speed. They didn't look at the tape box to see what the speeds were. So we've been hearing it in stereo all these years, and it's been wrong. Giles said he looked at the tape box, and it says, you know, plus 0.5%. And you put it on the machine and went, nobody adjusted this. This is The whole thing's been too slow for 49 years. That's like... Um... That's like if there was a new Rosetta Stone, and they realized that the the Greek they were translating the Egyptian, the hieroglyphics from, was actually nonsense. Like, oh, sorry, we were wrong. So what he did is he went back to the mono, the original mono mix, as a reference point, and re when you say you got to have it in mono, well, this is the time you can get, you now you can hear Sgt. Pepper in stereo. 
because he made a new stereo version based on the mono mix. In other words, he rebalanced all the instruments according to the original mix that his dad and Jeff Emmerich did, but then translated it into stereo so that it's slightly left, slightly right, and cleaned it up, and that's the thing that just explodes. That sounds like a brand new, completely different album in its own way, even though all the sounds are perfect. The chime in When I'm 64. Da-da-da-da. Ding! You just, it's, there's a man standing in your room with a tubular bell going, ding! And I asked him, did you re-record any of this? Did you sneak in a guy? He goes, it would have been, it would have taken me 10 minutes to re-record something and you would have never known it. And I wouldn't do it because A, it's the Beatles. It's the, it's the masterwork of the pop rock culture of the 20th century. It's the boys. And it's my dad. You don't, you don't pull a fast one, even if it's great. You don't trick it. You, you have to do all the work. So you rebuild the waveform, you know, frequency by frequency and take out the noise and add the harmonics and you spend days on end with a knob, getting it right, getting the original thing, even though you could bring in a guy with a mic and do it before lunch. And he's like, I'm damn proud of doing it the right way. And you'll hear the difference. So I can't wait to play it on Breakfast with the Beatles. So this is our Beatles Revolution podcast. Ken Dash out. Producer Andrew, thank you so much for doing this with me. Well, uh, before we go, yes, don't sir. you want to um, realize that exciting news you got about Breakfast with the Beatles and how uh, people can listen to that again? Oh, yes. For uh, for folks in, in Florida and in Colorado and all points northwest and anywhere, uh, please pass the word that you can just go to the iHeartRadio app on your smartphone, on your tablet. Just like you used to. Yep. Or on your computer and stream Breakfast with the Beatles again. Uh, thank you so much to all the powers that be for getting us streaming once again. So Breakfast with the Beatles is going all over the country. So wake the kids, call the neighbors, tell your friends. But I'm so glad we get to have breakfast every Sunday morning. Wherever you are, whatever time it is that you're having breakfast, come join us. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.